This program contains strong language. This show contains scenes that some may find disturbing. Chapter 7 The White of a Cow's Eye Ray knew he would always remember that first day, and the sight and the smell of death so close it clung to his skin. The ghastly pallor of the men with their liquid-like grey faces, leathery and veined, sweat-stained and stinking, tanned with the grease and gore of their butchered prey. Men with eyes as frenzied and death-struck as the cows they slaughtered. Men with sombre faces, humorless and brazen. Men living only for their work, and when they spoke, it was only of their work. Ray assimilated into his environment like an octopus blending into coral. The men who worked beside him on the killing room floor treated him like any wet-behind-the-ears newcomer, but soon Ray showed them that he had what it took to work in the blood and the slop without complaint, for Ray had a vision, and it did not include spending the rest of his life here. His vision was a shared thing, and he held on to it each day, and each time he lunched with Donna, his vision became that little bit clearer. They had become inseparable friends over the past few weeks. Despite this, neither one was yet prepared to make the next move, the next personal affront that would steer them beyond being part-time lovers to full-time companions, and maybe as part of this vision that he saw, husband and wife. In some respect this suited Ray. He needed time to get his bank balance earning some respectability as well as his own self-confidence. Donna made it easier. She was an understanding woman, and she seemed to know what Ray was trying to accomplish, even if he wasn't sure himself. She understood the battle that went on inside his head, when the urge to create overshadowed the urge to work and make money. But Ray stuck with it despite the odds, and despite the smell and the slaughter of the cattle around him, even despite the dark, moody death stares from Eugene Paris. Paris was uncertain of Ray. He was wary, almost fearful of Ray's presence there, and he often thought about Ray's real reasons for being there. According to Paris, Ray didn't fit. He did not look like one of the boys. He was comparatively clean-cut, and he had a sound and logical mind up there, as was evidenced in the technical marvel he had created in the sausage room. Ray was aware of Paris's behaviour towards him, and it wasn't until he spoke to Stevano about it that he discovered the reason why. Mr Stevano had told Paris that Ray was an industrial health and safety engineer student who was there for some work experience. This had been good and bad, because Paris had an obvious dislike for wanker students. But it made him fearful also because Paris felt his own job was in peril. On the other hand, Stevano had said to Paris that he wanted Ray to learn as much as he could from him because he believed Paris was the best role model in the building. With this explanation, Paris was satisfied. Ray worked on the killing floor with three others. He knew them by their nicknames, Bluey, Woodduck and Tangles. Woodduck and Tangles were brothers, 
and between the two of them, Ray imagined they weighed as much as a full-grown bull. They were short men, mid-thirties, slimy-skinned and full of floppy fat, bundled up in checkered flannelette shirts they never changed. They were married to wives as large as life as they themselves were. These women occasionally joined the men in the lunchroom. They swore, smoked and spat on the floor just like the men, and sometimes they would bring their children along. There were usually two of them hanging from each arm, or sucking from each sagging breast. Ray always noted, as he tried to eat his cheese sandwiches, at least one of them had a dirty nappy or a snotty nose. These men, despite their ugly, roguish ruthlessness, were friendly enough, and if their job was finished for the day, and Ray was still left to clean up, they would often grab a mop and bucket, and help clean the floor for the next day's slaughter. Mr. Stevano had said Ray should start on the bottom of the ladder and work his way up if he wanted to get to the big money. Paris, of course, made the most. He was the foreman and head slaughter man. So Ray started at the bottom and after a few weeks of hard and dirty work, Ray had earned the respect and friendship of his peers. They were interesting men with menacing faces, sharing the common bind of mateship and with the exception of Paris, who harboured an evil and inhuman lack of compassion for slaughter, the men took little joy in their job. They saw and brought death to a hundred cows a week. Their faces were as pasty as the flesh of cattle stripped of hide, and their methodical approach in their killing room only added to their indifferent nature with the animals. Like carrion birds, they descended upon the steaming, convulsing animal, dismembering it while Paris watched bolt gun in hand. Initially, Ray had been shocked by the sight of cows being slaughtered by what he thought was a brutal and inhuman method of butchery, but Woodduck assured him they didn't understand what was going on around them. They aren't like us, you know, Ray. They don't understand what's happening to them. Just a quick bang in their head and down they go. But at that moment of impact, they seemed to... They know, Bluey said quietly. Don't listen to him, Woodduck said. He's always going on about their feelings. They have feelings, Bluey said, just like you and just like me. With a comment like that, it made Ray wonder how Bluey could still manage to skin the thing. What alternatives are there, Ray asked. Paris said there were heaps of alternatives, but shooting them with a gun was the most respected method available. We used to use hammers, but some kind-hearted bastards reckoned we were hurting the shithouse cows, so we had to switch to guns. In my opinion, hammers were quicker and cleaner and cheaper. Not always quicker, Bluey argued, and not always clean. Ray watched Bluey's sharp, flat blade cleave the hide from a fallen beast. The white, lumpy flesh beneath the hide reminded Ray of a peeled orange but there were small trickles of blood seeping through the white flesh and the comparison was quickly quashed. Sometimes you miss your mark and it takes more than one strike. It ain't easy. They don't like hammers coming at their heads. Funny that. They usually react to that. So don't tell me they don't know what's going on. But they know. Paris scoffed. Bull's fucking shit they do. He pointed to a couple of cows in the paddock waiting their turn. They had approached a fallen cow and nudged at it with wet noses, more out of curiosity than fear. Tell me they know what's going on. Look, Bluey, they haven't a fucking clue what they're sniffing. They don't understand death, not the way we do. Ray wondered whether Paris really knew what death meant. Had Paris ever lost a close friend or a loved one to death? 
Ray certainly hadn't. Bluey said, The point I'm trying to make here is, I think shooting them is the best and most humane way of killing them outright. Hammers, pole axes, all that sort of stuff ought to be banned. In my opinion, chemical narcosis is the only way to go. They do it to pigs overseas and they should use it here on cows. Bluey raised his eyebrows and shook his head. I suppose it's not economically viable for albatross abattoirs. Anyway, if you've ever read the literature associated with this kind of practice, you'd discover that it's not only worthwhile in the long run, but it saves money because of the ease of bleeding and handling. It's a more humane way of ending the animal's life. Ray had not heard of this procedure, so Bluey described it to him in great detail, explaining the process of spraying the animal in a bath of carbon dioxide, which renders them unconscious for 10 seconds or so, by which time they are bled. It's far better than a hammer over the head. But you're not using hammers now, are you? Ray asked. Paris did the other day just to keep his hand in. Should have seen it, man. Three blows, Wood Duck laughed. It was a bull. Bluey said, and the only thing you should use on a bull is a gun. They've got thicker skulls. You should never use a hammer. But Paris wasn't backing down. Hammers were better. Ask any butcher what he prefers and he'll say a hammer on the bastard's head is the best method. Bluey put down his knife. What does a fucking butcher know about slaughtering? Wood Duck tapped his head. Brains, Bluey. What? Brains, the reason butchers don't like the guns because it often damages the brain and other surrounding tissue. Paris smiled. Wood Duck's got the brownie points today. Without much humour, Wood Duck said, I'll bend over and you can give them to me. Bluey spat on the ground. You blokes are fucking pathetic. Have an argument, why don't you? Tangle shouted. There's still a bleed to be done and I want my fucking lunch. He wiped the blade of his cutting implement on his overalls. Overalls that were thick and shiny from years of doing what he had just did with the knife. Otherwise, I'm cleaning up now. Half an hour, Paris said. We can put another one through before lunch if Bender can get his act together and clean the trough. Ray did what was required of him. He cleaned the trough and then he led the next cow in by rope. He attached two ropes to the cow's head. This reduced movement of the head as the gun was being held just above the eyes. The ropes were attached to the pulleys that were mounted on steel hooks hanging from the ceiling. Other ropes were wrapped around the animal's front hooves. A rope harness was attached to the underbelly of the cow. This was designed to support the weight of the animal once it had been stunned. When the animal fell, the weight counterbalanced against the centrifugal force enabling the cow to hang suspended without much human effort, thus making it easier to bleed. Up until today, this had been Ray's primary responsibility, that and the cleaning up of the mess afterwards. Woodduck made the mistake of asking Ray of his opinion of the hammer treatment. Ray said he thought it was barbaric, and anybody caught doing it should be locked up, because Ray added, they're obviously sick in the head. Paris overheard this and with a loud exclamation of anger spat on the floor. Oh, perhaps we shouldn't have said that to Ray, Tangle said. Wood Duck laughed. You're going to get it now, Bender. He sure fucking is, Paris shrieked. He stormed to the wall closet, pulled the steel door open and handed Ray a present. A hammer. Mr. Smartass University Man, you think you can work out a more humane way of killing these bastards than do it. But right now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make your mind up whether the hammer is better and more or less humane than the bolt gun. 
university man, are you? Tangles asked. Well, Ray began, I did a... He's here to flame and check up on us, Paris spat. Fuck, Wood Duck hissed with a voice that sounded like it had swallowed a whole spider's web. The little prick's a spy. I'm... No, no, I'm not. I'm... He's a quality fucking control, Inspector Paris exclaimed. I'll be fucked, Wood Duck thundered with increasing venom. From that day forward, he took a total dislike to Ray, despite Ray telling them all his university qualification was, was a simple arts degree. That's why I'm working here, Ray said. You're bloody joking. You expect us to believe that after what you just told us? Came from Stevano himself. Why would Stevano spit some bullshit? Well, Ray stammered, well, I don't know. But of course he did know. Because, Tangle said in his best Elwood Blues voice, he's on a mission from God. It was not much of an impersonation, but it made all them laugh and cut the frosty glares from Paris and Wood Duck's faces. So make this kill and we'll go to lunch. Wood Duck and Tangles laughed as Ray dropped the hammer and backed toward the door. I don't think I'm quite ready for that, Ray said. Oh, Paris mocked. He doesn't think he's quite ready for that. He pointed to the hammer. Bender, if you want to keep working here, you better pick up that hammer now and stand in front of this cow. Louis, not part of the event, muttered a few words of disgust and told them all he was going to lunch, and he hoped that when he returned some normality had been restored. Ray was sad to see him go. He believed Bluey was his only ally, and he was right. As soon as Bluey exited, Paris told Wood Duck to stand by the door and not let anyone in or out. Tangles picked up the hammer and gave it to Ray. You want to know what killing is all about? Now's your chance, Tangles said. Wood Duck asked Ray if he had ever killed before, and Ray remembered his friend Kevin Tyne asking the same question and laughing at his reply. So he said, Of course I have. I've shot a few feral cats. A few feral cats. Whoa, Wood Duck mocked. My hero. Bender, you're a legend, Paris said. He positioned Ray in front of the cow and told him to raise the hammer above his head and to concentrate on the area just above and between the cow's eyes. Swing that hammer hard and for fuck's sake, Bender, don't miss. We don't want the poor thing feeling more pain than it needs to, do we? Ray nodded, fully aware of his predicament. To drop the hammer now and make a run for it would have been the worst thing he might consider doing, apart from the humiliation he would receive from his workmates and particularly from Paris. His own ego would not have let him sleep nights. Ray did not like being made a fool of, and even less a wimp, although that was the way he must have appeared to these strong and brutish men. I've never killed anything in my life, he thought. How can I kill this cow? He stared into its eyes, and noticed for the first time how sad those eyes were. Ray was unconvinced about their not knowing the gruesome fate that awaited them in the killing room. Those deep black eyes, They seemed to know everything that was on Ray's mind. They seemed to accept their fate, as though to be born a cow, they knew what role they played in the great scheme of things. Wait a minute, Paris gurgled with devilish amusement in his voice. Tangles, fetch the nut crusher. Tangles' face blushed. Uh, boss, do you think, uh, get it, will you, Wood Duck? Tangles, stand by the door. Tell me if you can see Stevano hanging around. Paris took the hammer from Ray. Despite this, Ray did not feel very relieved. 
there was something even more sinister being brewed here. Obviously something they didn't want Stevano to know about. What are you going to do now, Ray asked, with such a watery voice that he scarcely heard his own words coming out. We're going to make a man out of you. Today you're being initiated. Initiated, Ray thought, not Crusher. Suddenly he wondered whether he was ever going to make it out of the room alive. Out of an old locker in the corner, full of old disused tools, Wood Duck retrieved a large blood-stained axe. The head of the tool was as thick as a blockbuster, but its sharp end was pointed and narrower, more like a traditional axe. The handle was made of wood and appeared very frail, and the axe head moved freely along the shaft of the weapon. Paris took hold of it and ran his thumb down along the edge of the blade. It drew no blood. The edge was quite dull. It had been well used in its bloodthirsty past. The Nutcrusher, let me introduce the pair of you. This was the first thing I learned on when I was a lad. Those days every buggy used one of these. Of course now, they're frowned upon, and Stavano, the greasy wog bastard, will he band them all together? He threw the axe at Ray, who caught it and immediately felt the solid weight in his hands, heavier still than the hammer had been, heavier and deadlier. No stuffing around with this baby. Tangle said, boss, I don't reckon... You don't reckon any bloody thing. Just stand beside that door, that's all you have to do. I don't think it's right, Tangles persisted. Bender's new here. He don't know how to kill properly yet with a gun, let alone a pole axe. You're the only one who knows how to use that thing. Tangles' voice softened. Even I wouldn't use that on a cow. Paris smiled. To Woodduck he said, Your brother's getting soft. Woodduck laughed uneasily. He's a fucking Nancy boy like Bender here. Attention was focused back on Ray. Paris showed him the correct method of striking the animal and showed him the exact spot that had to be struck. He said that one miss would not only cause the animal grievous bodily harm, but would damage the meat as well and the value of the beast would be greatly reduced and Ray's pay packet would have to be forfeited. If you miss, Paris added. Ray asked whether he had a choice. Paris said he had one choice. He could kill this cow and be a hero in everyone's eyes, or he could go home to mummy, piss in his pants. The choice was made. Ray lifted the poleaxe, aware of Paris's words of warning, if you miss. Aware of what great pain he was about to inflict upon this sad and patient cow. Aware of the three men who waited for him to split the animal's skull with one ferocious blow. Aware. The cow was aware. It began to move back and forwards as much as it could strapped in the confines of its roped enclosure. Ray knew he was committed to the kill. It really wasn't such a sinful thing, but why was there a feeling of terminal guilt shrouding him? Why did he feel like a naughty schoolboy, breaking some out-of-bounds rule? Why did he feel as though he was being particularly cruel to this animal, when in any case the creature was the next in line? What difference did it make? To Paris and the others it made no difference whatsoever. The only difference was that Ray was now doing the kill, but not with the gun. Give me the gun, Ray said, and I'll shoot it. I can't kill it this way. Tangles handed Ray the gun, but Paris took it and shook his head. Hurry up, Bender, it's past lunchtime, Wood Duck said. Tangles announced to everyone that Bluey was on his way back. Paris said it did not matter. If Bluey dobbed on them, Bluey would be out on his ass by the end of the week. He told Ray to kill the cow now or Paris would kill him. 
but Ray was not frightened by Paris's threats. Whether it was true or not, it did not matter. Ray remembered these things only. The weight of the poleaxe in his hand, the sound of the screen door opening, and the sight of Bluey standing in the doorway. With Bluey standing there, he found renewed confidence and brought the axe down upon the cow's head. He did not at first realise what had happened because his eyes were shut and his body had clamped tight like a vice around the axe, but the agonised cry that came from the wounded cow brought him back to sudden reality. Paris and Woodduck were laughing nervously as Ray picked himself off the floor to survey the damage. The blow had severed part of the cow's ear and slid down the front flank of the beast and onto the front hoof, severing one of the cow's hooves in half. Blood was furiously spurting from several damaged arteries and the cow was staggering against the ropes. Whites of its eyes clouded and foam frothing from its nose and mouth. Horrendous wails of pain shook the tin shed. Kill it, you idiot, Tangle shouted. Ray raised the axe a second time but there was no strength in his arms for another blow. The horror of what he had just done sinking in fast and he could do nothing more than stand rigid, frozen with fear and self-loathing and guilt. The cow lunged forward, trying to break its bindings, legs splaying in four directions as it slipped in its own pool of steaming blood. Jesus Christ, Ray thought he said, but it was a voice of Bluey erupting beside him. Bluey heaved Ray out of the way and forced the axe from his grip. Bluey dropped the axe upon the cow's head and the wild beast slumped suddenly onto the trough. Paris took hold of a pulley and raised the cow off the ground for Tangles to reach out and slash the animal from breastbone to the throat exposing the windpipe. The blade sunk into the breastbone and under the shoulder towards the head severing the main arteries. Blood gushed from the animal in a steamy lava-like flood filling the trough. Paris took hold of the tail and raised it up facilitating the flow of blood. After the animal had been bled Paris signalled it was time for lunch. Nobody said a thing about the incident but Ray felt he had passed his greatest test. They made him no hero, but he had struck the cow despite his own fears, and some little boy innocence had that day left him. In a fit of sleeplessness brought on by the guilt of what he had done earlier that day, Ray dialed Lifeline at 11.55pm that evening. The woman who answered sounded middle-aged and bored. She had a slightly Spanish accent. Ray could hear a little dog that must have been sitting on her lap whimpering. I tried to kill a cow at work and, and, and now I... Excuse me? The woman at the other end asked. Did you say kill? Cows, Ray said, killing cows. And now I'm feeling so guilty about it I can't get to sleep. I took four aspirin but it doesn't seem to be working. I don't know what to do. I, I, I told my girlfriend about it but... She just said someday I'll, I'll make a lot of money with my writing and I won't have to work at the abattoirs anymore. But, God, I don't know. I'm, I'm 33. I don't have a trade to my name. Now, who's going to employ somebody my age without a trade? What sort of future am I going to give my girlfriend? I've been thinking about asking her to marry me, but realistically, how can I do that? I earn next to nothing at the abattoirs and the boss said that's the way it has to be for the time being. He did make me an offer I should have taken up at the time, but it meant killing two of his former employees. Excuse me, she said. These are cows? No, these are people this time, but I, I couldn't do it. I made them redundant at work and now they hate me. The other day they threw a rock through my window and, 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 and tried to run over my neighbour's poodle. Oh, that's terrible. They sound like horrible people. 
I hope they are locked up for this. I haven't heard anything since, but the driver pranged the car pretty badly and he tried to reverse over the dog and I think his car is in a garage getting fixed. Maybe that or he's hung himself, hopefully. The line went silent. Ray apologised for calling so late in the evening, but he needed to talk about, well, everything. All his worries had surfaced that evening. And no matter how many soft and kind words Donna had plied him with, it didn't work. I wanted her to stay with me tonight, but she said she couldn't because her parents were celebrating their 21st anniversary and it was a basic family affair. Maybe you should find yourself another job. Ray sighed. That's what I've been saying. I was just lucky to find this one. Nobody wants to employ a part-time writer. Anyway, the job's okay. It feeds my imagination and... He thought to himself, it was the best thing that ever happened to my writing. Would Killer Kangaroo have ever been published in Crap City magazine had Ray not drawn from some of the goriest elements of his work? He doubted it. And then he realised what his problem had been that night. He had wanted to put the day's experiences down on paper in the form of a new story. No, not a story. A novel, he wailed. What? The Spanish lady asked. I'm going to write a novel. Tonight, she said. Couldn't he wait till morning? Ray explained to her the creative process and how it needed appeasing at whatever hour it struck. He thanked the woman for listening and she promised to buy a copy of his book when it got published. Sure you will, Ray thought to himself, but it didn't matter, although he hoped she would anyway. After two cups of black coffee, Ray was ready to begin. He had written down a dozen titles on a piece of paper and the only thing that struck was The Slaughter of Sad Cattle. He decided it was going to be a science fiction story, once again, but with a message. A green, holistic, feel-good family story about a family of space cows that landed on Earth. No, 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 he scribbled that out. A strange cowpat from outer space crash lands on Earth. From the cowpat, alien cows emerge and begin to take over a sleepy little town. At first, the townsfolk think they're just normal cows, but one day a cow strays onto the highway and gets hit by a car and suddenly the authorities are brought in to investigate the situation. Before long, the alien cows have been rounded up and... And then what do they do, Ray? He questioned himself. It always happened. Just when he was about to devise the basic premise for the entire story, his inspiration runs dry and he has to discontinue it. Besides, it was 3.30 in the morning and some mildly pornographic movie was just beginning on one of the pay TV channels. The movie was called Trouble in Teen High and it was about a group of teenage girls using their persuasive charms to con their way into honours classes. Sometime that morning, Ray dreamt of being attacked by naked alien women with cow faces and multiple milking glands. It was not altogether a nightmare, but it made him late for work.